Today on the Matt Wall Show, Michelle Obama is once again complaining about the persecution she suffered as a black woman in America. She's not alone. LeBron James, Oprah Winfrey, Meghan Markle, other black millionaires and billionaires have all frequently complained about our racist system of white privilege. Today, we're going to talk about the victims uh, here and, and reflect on their stories. Also, five headlines, including Dr. Fauci finally giving a definitive date, sort of, for when we can return to normal. Uh, it's a year away. And the CIA doubles down, releasing yet another woke ad. Plus, Sarah Silverman uh, comes comes after Caitlyn Jenner, proving a few points that I'll explain today. And in our daily cancellation, we'll consider the story of the rapper who was shot and killed by a 15-year-old boy for his Rolex watch. What should we say about a man who promotes street violence and then dies by it? Well, we could say a lot, and I will today, and it'll make people very mad probably. All of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. You know, it could be really hard sometimes to find uh, a good, really a good chair, but especially a good office chair. And you know the difference between a, a, you know, one that's uh, it's no good because you get up at the end of the day, your, your back is all, is all kinds of messed up. And there's a difference between that and a really good office chair that gives you the kind of support you need. And I have that right now in my life, I'm, I'm happy to say. Sitting in it right now, the X chair. X chair has your office chair co- uh, needs covered. The secret is not only their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to your lower back. I'm not exactly sure what the lumbar is, but I know that it's supported for sure by this chair. But now, thanks to the uh, new XHMT technology, you can also get heat and massage therapy while you're sitting at your desk. So if you're old and decrepit like me uh, and you need that, that extra help, you can get it. Instead of your old, uncomfortable office chair, now you can look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. Uh, if you're going to be sitting down all day, why not make sure you take care of your comfort and your health as well? X-Chair is on sale right now for $100 off. Go to xchairwalsh.com. That's the letter X, chair, Walsh.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairwalsh.com now and use code XWheels for free X-Wheel blade casters. xchairwalsh.com. It's good to you know, keep things in perspective. You may believe that your life is difficult, but you should realize that there are people out there who face struggles and obstacles, hardships and persecution, far beyond what you have ever known or will ever experience. Uh, you've been through your own trials, perhaps, but at least your life hasn't been as hard uh, on you as it has been on Michelle Obama. The former first lady who graduated from two Ivy League schools, became first lady by the age of 45, is now worth a combined $135 million along with her husband, has always been eager to talk about the many ways in which this country has oppressed her. She returned to that theme in a recent interview with CBS, telling the outlet that she, quote, lived in fear or lives in fear and is afraid of getting randomly gunned down by the cops while shopping for groceries or walking her dog. Apparently, the fact that she gets Secret Service protection everywhere she goes is not enough to make her feel secure. She considers it plausible that a Racist cop might run up and execute a former first lady on the spot for no reason. Obama is also concerned that her daughters will get racially profiled while driving. She lies awake at night, tossing and turning, fearing that some police officer, police officer with a professional death wish will harass the famous daughters of a United States president. These are all very real fears that she has. And don't ever doubt these fears. Don't doubt them. Here she is describing them. Many of us still live in fear as we go to the grocery store or worry about walking our, our dogs, walking our dogs or allowing our children to get a license. I mean, just imagine. Aren't your girls right driving? Now, they're driving. Yeah. But every time they get in a car by themselves, I worry about what assumption is being made by somebody who doesn't know everything about them. The fact that they are good students and polite girls, but maybe they're playing their music a little loud. Maybe somebody mm-hmm. sees the back of their head mm-hmm. and makes an assumption. I, like so many parents of black kids, have to, that the the, the, the innocent act of getting a license mm-hmm. puts fear in our hearts. Um, so I, th- I think we have to talk about it more and we have to ask our, our fellow citizens to listen a bit more mm-hmm. and to believe us. Yeah, just to be clear again, when she talks about being afraid of walking down the street or, or, or you know, walking her dog or going to the grocery store, That is what she's saying. She's saying she's afraid that a cop will shoot her. That's the claim being made by Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama is afraid that a cop will shoot her, she says. And why won't someone listen to her, she asks. 
You know, they just need to listen to us. Yes, why won't someone listen to Michelle Obama? Michelle Obama is tired of being ignored. She wrote a book that sold 10 million copies in five months. Clearly, nobody cares what she has to say. Nobody is listening to her. It's just as clear that only black parents have to worry about their kids behind the wheel. White parents have no such concern. You know, when I was 17 and I got my license and I went out on the roads, my parents were, they were sleeping easy. It was no problem. Weren't worried at all. We white parents simply cannot conceive of living a life as difficult as that of a beloved multimillionaire celebrity who charges $200,000 to give a 45-minute speech. Can't even, we, we can't wrap our heads around it. If you're not yet convinced that Michelle Obama is a victim and that her bitterness towards this country is warranted, I need only remind you of a segment from her podcast a few months ago where she talked about the racism she experienced even while in the White House. What you're about to hear is very difficult to listen to. It'll send chills down your spine, um, but it is your responsibility to confront this because this is what is happening to Michelle Obama. You're not going to be able to, you're, you're not going to believe this. Listen. So I'm standing there with two little black girls, another black female adult. They're in soccer uniforms. And a white woman cuts right in front of us to order. Like she didn't even see us. And I literally, and the, the, the girl behind the counter almost took her order. And I said, excuse me, as if you don't see us for people standing right here you just jumped in line she didn't apologize she never looked me in my eye she didn't know it was me all she saw was a black person or a group of black people or maybe she didn't even see that what white folks don't understand it's like that that is so telling uh, of how white america views people who are not like them you know we don't exist She doesn't exist. Someone noticed Michelle Obama. She's not being noticed. You heard that right. Michelle Obama, years later, specifically remembers one time when someone cut in front of her in line and is still complaining about it. Who can blame her? I mean, obviously this was racism. There could be no other explanation. Someone cut in front of her in line, and she, you know, by the way, remember before she was talking about don't make assumptions about people, she jumped to the, she assumed that this person is racist. That's the assumption she made. But, but it's, 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 uh, she, she can make that assumption because it's not as though all humans on the face of this planet have had similar experiences. It's not as though line cutters are globally reviled precisely because we've all encountered this many times. No, this is Michelle Obama's cross to carry. Just think about this. Michelle Obama was delayed in getting ice cream for upwards of 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Imagine. She could have starved. Her children could have starved. All because they're black. Now, lest you think that Michelle Obama is the only fabulously wealthy, famous, and beloved black celebrity to be persecuted by this country, I must also remind you of LeBron James. LeBron, net worth $500 million, who's been a millionaire athlete since the age of 18 and was nationally acclaimed even before that. It would be accurate to say that LeBron has been a celebrated and nationally recognized athlete for the vast majority of his life, almost his entire life, going back into childhood. But even so, LeBron has suffered the sort of maltreatment that the average white man cannot comprehend. The NBA NBA star has, like Michelle, often claimed to be too afraid to walk down the street Despite being surrounded by armed security, living in a multi-million dollar mansion in a posh Los Angeles suburb, LeBron is worried that some crazed racist cop will run up and shoot him dead. Such a thing has literally never happened. Nothing like that has ever happened. But he's worried that it will. And his fear should be validated. In fairness, LeBron has experienced hate crimes in the past. Um, Who can forget the time when LeBron claimed that someone spray-painted the N-word somewhere on his property. Now, in fact, I say who can forget. Everyone has forgotten. But um, he did actually claim this. And he spoke out against the hate crime courageously. It was applauded by the media. Now, the funny thing is that the cops showed up to investigate, and they never found any racist graffiti. It had been uh, painted over already. Nothing strange about that. Calling the cops to investigate graffiti, but painting over it before they arrive? Who could question that? The media certainly didn't question it. And what about Oprah Winfrey? 
net worth $2.7 billion. She, especially in recent years, has taken to denouncing white privilege as well. Now, sure, she has more wealth and power than the average white person could, could hope to accrue in 10,000 lifetimes. But the average white, per, white person still has something that Oprah Winfrey doesn't. Whiteness. What is whiteness worth? What can you cash it in for? Well, that isn't explained exactly, but the point is that if you're a white man living in a 900-square-foot modular home and feeding your children canned tuna for dinner tonight, you are more privileged than Oprah Winfrey, as she explains here. There are white people who are not as powerful as the system of white people, the caste system that's been put in place, but they still no matter where they are on the rung or the ladder of success, they still have their whiteness. They still have their whiteness. So that's what you say to the guy feeding the kids tuna in the modular home. You have your whiteness. You got that at least. Can't afford medical bills, but you have your whiteness. Cash that in. Cash that in at the uh, cosmic prize counter. Maybe it'd be good for a couple of Jolly Ranchers and a Chinese finger trap. Imagine being Oprah. I mean, it must be so hard. That's why Oprah was the perfect person to speak to and commiserate with Meghan Markle, who's uh, sort of black but fully persecuted. A Hollywood actress turned royalty, turned media mogul. Um, and, and it's unclear why she was deserving of any of those titles at all, uh, being that she has no talent to speak of whatsoever. But surely she has known troubles and tribulations that a white mother waitressing at a Denny's never has or never will. Likewise, for Sean P. Diddy Combs, who penned an open letter to corporate America a few weeks ago, blasting the corporate world for discriminating against people like himself. Now, Sean Combs is worth $900 million, despite the fact that he's never produced anything of value in his entire life. Uh, he's been a millionaire since his early 20s. That's also when he killed Tupac, allegedly. But none of that can erase the pain caused by the unspecified corporate villains who have caused him unspecified harm. Who knows? Maybe he could be worth $1 billion already if not for that discrimination. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine not being a billionaire? That's the sort of reality that Sean Combs has to face every day, at least for a few more years until he actually is a billionaire. All of this raises the question, when will America finally become the sort of country where black people can succeed? Or at least, I mean, succeed more. Succeed more than being millionaires and billionaires and some of the most famous and powerful people in the country. That's the question. In closing, I want to give you a statistic that will shock you to your core. And you're not going to believe this, but it's true. Did you know that there are today no black trillionaires? None. Not one. Not even Oprah. Still think white privilege is a myth? Well, clearly, you're wrong. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, there's so many things out there, especially on the internet, um, looking to indoctrinate your kids. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of content out there supposedly made for kids, but uh, not exactly expressing... Um, the kind of values that you want for your kids. And that's why when you find something that teaches your kids the kind of information they need to know, uh, that's really important. And that's why I want to tell you about the Tuttle Twin Show. How do you describe economics to a seven-year-old? Uh, should, should your preteen care about the government? Well, schools today aren't teaching the principles of freedom. History is watered down. Key principles omitted altogether. And time and attention are given to things of lesser importance, shall we say. Woke socialist ideas are creeping into our classrooms doing a lot more than creeping into them in a lot of cases. So our friends at Tuttle Twins are doing something about it. They're creating the Tuttle Twins Show, an animated show that teaches kids principles of freedom, like free market economics, limited government, and free speech. Tuttle Twins just uh, opened an investment round to the public at www.tuttletwins.tv, where anyone can invest in the show and help bring it to life. So that's pretty exciting. People are loving it. The Tuttle Twins Show is now the world's number one crowdfunded kids show, and the investment round is filling up fast. So if you want to help bring the Tuttle Twins Show to life, you can go to TuttleTwins.tv. That's www.TuttleTwins.tv to learn more about the investment opportunity today. That's www.TuttleTwins.tv. You know, you really got to trust your instincts. Uh, and so when you hear, you know, I always hear these claims from, from, from people when they're pushing like vegan 
or soy-based substitutes for real food. Or now they're pushing bugs and they're saying, oh, you know, have a bug burger made of uh, grasshoppers and crickets. It tastes just like the real thing. And I never try that stuff, but I always know. I'm just like, there's no way it tastes the same. It just doesn't. And so yes, this past weekend, I, I tested the theory. I was at my in-law's house and my sister-in-law is uh, big into vegan ice cream. Uh, I don't think she, she hasn't gone full vegan herself, but some of the stuff. So she has this vegan ice cream. It was like mint chocolate chip. And it looked pretty real. And she was telling me like, no, it tastes just, you'll never know the difference. It's delicious. And so I tried some of it. It was my first taste of a vegan substitute. And I said, I took one spoonful and it was horrifying. Don't listen to anyone who tries to push a vegan ice cream on you. It tasted, you know what? It tasted like melted chalk doused in Pepto-Bismol and Splenda. That's what it, it was really unsettling, actually. That's the word I was trying to figure out. There's something, yeah, it's, it's horrible. It's bad. It's also kind of creepy. It's, it's weirdly inorganic and inedible. It tasted dyspeptic and, and, and dystopian, even. It's like a ration they might serve in a prison cell on Mars in the year 2075. It was really, I didn't like it, in other words. Stick with the real stuff. Um, there's my PSA for you. Let's move on. White House COVID coordinator Jeffrey Zients, or Zaints, I'm sure how to pronounce it. He was on uh, CNN this weekend, and he had some news on when we might begin earning more privileges as a country uh, because we have to earn our privileges from the government. And here's what Zaints has to say. I think one of the reasons why journalists are annoyingly harping on this, and some health experts are, is because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And President Biden being able to take off his mask in a room full of journalists and White House staffers, all of whom are fully vaccinated, is a demonstration that the vaccines work. You and I are both vaccinated, and you and I are in a room together talking, and I have no fear that I'm going to get the virus from you, and I assume vice versa. And I think the concern is that by being overly cautious, the signal is going out to the public uh, that there isn't necessarily a light at the end of the tunnel. Do you understand why people well, are I, I think I think everyone is tired, um, and wearing a mask is it can be a pain. Uh, but we're, we're getting there, and the light at the end of the tunnel is brighter and brighter. Let's keep up our guard. Let's follow the CDC guidance. And the CDC guidance across time will allow vaccinated people more and more privileges to take off that mask. He really looks, looks and sounds exactly as you expect. All of these... All of these petty tyrants, uh, they, they all have exactly, they, it, it's hard to really put your finger on it, but they have a certain look about them. Um, but he says we, you can earn privileges. You know, kind of like as a parent, uh, this, is, this is what we, you know, this is what I do with my kids, a lot of parents. It's you, you can, your kids can earn privileges, you can take privileges away. If they're, if they're misbehaving, you say, okay, I was going to let you watch uh, television show for 30 minutes, but you're, you can't do that anymore. We're taking the privilege away. And that's how we're being treated. It is, it is really exactly like we've, we've talked about the nanny state for years and years. Um, in the last year, we have fully experienced what a nanny state really is, because that is how we're being treated as children. From the very beginning of this thing. That's why at the very, that's the reason they gave us when they originally told everyone, don't wear a mask, and Dr. Fauci said, don't wear a mask, it's not going to do much for you. Um, that's what he originally said back in like March. And then just like that, they changed on a dime and said, never mind, actually wear the mask, and if you don't, you're going to be murdering uh, your, your, your grandparents. And then when a few, and most people ju just went along with it and said, well, okay, don't wear the mask, wear it, whatever you tell me. But when a few people said, hey, hold on a second, you were, you were just telling us don't wear one. It doesn't have any effect. And now you're, and the reason we were, gave, we were given was, uh, well, we had to tell you that because otherwise you would have run out and hoarded all the masks and there wouldn't be any left for uh, medical professionals. So treating us like children. But again, plenty of people are perfectly happy being treated this way. That is, that's the most disturbing reality of all. 
And those of us who are self-respecting adults, it's hard for us to comprehend. But there are so many other adults, would-be adults, um, supposed adults in this country who, who really, you know, they crave that sort of maternal embrace from their government. And they're perfectly happy with it. Dr. Fauci has had us in his uh, maternal embrace for the last year, and he was, he was asked this weekend, as the, the, every, he, he is on the news every day, and they're asking him this question of, when can we get back to normal? When can we get back to normal? And uh, he says something different every day, however he happens to be feeling. Um, but I think this is the first time that he gave a, a pretty definitive end date, sort of. And here's the end date that he gave. Give everyone a sense of what the country is going to look like next Mother's Day. Well, George, I hope that next Mother's Day we're going to see a, a dramatic difference than what we're seeing right now. I believe that we will be about as close to back to normal as we can. And there's, there's some conditions to that, George. We've got to make sure that we get the overwhelming proportion of the population vaccinated. When that happens, the virus doesn't really have any place to go. There aren't a lot of vulnerable people around. And where there are not a lot of vulnerable people around, you're not going to see a surge. You're not going to see the kinds of numbers we see now. That being the case, I think we could approach what we used to remember as normal before all of this tragedy happened. A year from now, Mother's Day of next year is when we get back to normal. Now, of course, I've been living, I'm certainly living entirely my normal life uh, now, and I've been living as normal as I can from the beginning, the extent that I could when everything was being shut down all around us. But, uh, and a lot of us, a lot of you, it's, it's been the same. So it's, it's a very weird thing. It, it had already felt like we're living in different countries ideologically. But now that that's, that's uh, you know, now that's really being emphasized because when you, when you hear people, especially living on the coasts or living in, in blue states, still saying, well, when can we get back to normal? When can we, when can we go to the, sit down at a restaurant? What? I've been doing that this whole time. We're at a point now where it really doesn't, matter, I think, what the policies are, or certainly what guys like Fauci have to say. Um, because I think we're getting to the point where the people who are still locked down to whatever extent, or they're under mask mandates or anything, they, they want it. And that, that's why these places have gotten away with putting these uh, policies and keeping these policies in place for so long. Is because, as I've been saying for weeks now, a lot of people, their brains have been broken, their wills have been broken, and they're perfectly happy with it. They don't want to go back to normal. I was just seeing on, uh, on Twitter someone, I forget who, a blue check, saying that he, he, he went to an indoor retail establishment a few days ago for the first time in 14 months. Can you imagine that? I can't. He actually had not been to a store in over a year. There was never a time when I stopped going to stores inside. Not one moment during this whole thing. But that's someone like so many others that he just is not really hankering to get back to any kind of normal life. He's fine with, norm, with, that, with that being done. And we talk about masking and there are so many people as startling as it, as it might be to imagine, there are so many people who are fine wearing the mask forever. They don't want to take it off. And so the balkanization that we've already seen in this country is only going to be exacerbated um, more and more now. Where I think, you know, two years from now, three years from now, there are going to be places in this country that are still, that are still masking limitations, indoor limits, and that kind of thing. I don't know if they'll ever go back. And then there'll be other places like free states where you could basically live your life, which is already where we are for the most part. All right. Um, the CIA is doubling down on its woke advertising. Got a lot of criticism for the last one. You know, the woman bragging about being a, a cisgender millennial with, uh, with anxiety disorder and talking about, you know, all, all the different identity boxes that she checks and see how you got criticized for that, but they don't care. And here's the latest advertisement that uh, they just put out a couple days ago. 
As an agency librarian, I work to ensure that our collection and services are matched up with what CIA needs. Not only am I involved in the acquisitions of journals, books, and countless electronic resources, I'm also encouraged to curate special collections that challenge expectation. Recently, I brought in our intelligence gaming collection to give officers unique opportunities to practice skills they need in their various roles. Instead of sitting for hours in front of a computer-based training, they can play a carefully selected game to train a specific set of skills while simultaneously building on the myriad soft skills essential to intelligence work. My favorite thing about CIA is that they encourage the out-of-the-box ideas that drive real progress. Growing up gay in a small southern town, I was lucky to have a wonderful and accepting family. I always struggled with the idea that I might not be able to discuss my personal life at work. Imagine my surprise when I was taking my oath at CIA and I noticed a rainbow on then-director Brennan's lanyard, which I later learned was designed by Angle, one of the many employee resource groups here at the agency. I remember being stunned. Since then, however, I've learned that far beyond the resource groups, inclusion is a core value here. Officers from the top down work hard to ensure that every single person, whatever their gender, gender identity, race, disability, or sexual orientation can bring their entire self to work every day. Nothing to be worried about there. Just the CIA now um, spending their times, spending their time at work in a rainbow pin playing preschool games. <laughs> That's what it that's apparently what CIA agents do now at work. They're, they sit down uh, to build their critical thinking skills or whatever. They play video games and little preschool games, Rubik's Cubes. Um, that's the CIA now. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very important that uh, we, we allow CIA agents on the job to discuss their personal life, to talk about their sexual proclivities, their gender identity. Very, very important. And it is, it's important to the left. It's not just important. It's the whole point of everything. They, the left does not recognize that anything has a purpose or function beyond advancing its ideas, its worldview. It, it sees that as the primary function of everything and everyone, and especially of every institution. So the CIA, yes. The family unit, yes. That's the primary function of everything. So this isn't this isn't going to change. But it does show you um, just how deep the leftist rot is in our country and in our institutions. This stuff is embedded deep in there. And leftists have been working towards this goal. Give them some credit. They've been working towards this goal relentlessly and ruthlessly and in, and sort of brilliantly. Um, for decades. This is not happening by accident. It's not like everyone woke up yesterday and, and went insane. And next thing you know, the CIA, they're, they're wearing rainbow pins and playing, you know, playing video games on the job, talking about their gender identity and their gender expression. It, that's not, it may seem like that to those of us who haven't been paying attention, but uh, no, this, this is very intentional. It's a process that's been happening for, for many, many years. And that's why undoing it and getting rid of the rot revitalizing our, our, our culture, reclaiming our culture, that is not going to be, you know, a one, two, three step solution or just flipping a switch or something. It's not going to happen that way. And it's also a problem that goes way beyond simply electing Republicans to fix. Republicans who have shown no interest in fixing any of this um, have really been a part of this problem at best have done nothing to stop it and at worst have have taken part in this process um but that's why conservatives need to get out of this this way of thinking where it always comes down to elections and we just got to get a republican in the white house and that's all that matters this it, it, it achieves nothing if that's all if we're if we're only that's that's surface level you're only focused at the very very top but as I said, this rot goes deep, way deeper than that. Um, kind of related, I guess. Sarah Silverman has called out Caitlyn Jenner in no uncertain terms. And I, I, one of the reasons I play this is you, you may remember a few weeks ago, Sarah Silverman was getting credit um, from conservative media people 
uh, and by a lot of conservatives because on this same podcast, she spoke out against the uh, ex- the extremes of leftism and was saying that you know le- leftism is getting too extreme. And anytime someone on the left says something like that, conservatives eat that right up. And I was I was expecting the Sarah Silverman she might get a CPAC invitation because she said that. And maybe after what I'm about to play, she'll still get one. I don't know. But I remember saying at the time that, yeah, what she's saying is basically true and good. The, the left, they are extreme. But she, she's part of that. She is also an extreme leftist, as evidenced by this. I saw Caitlyn Jenner saying trans girls uh, should not play girls' sports. Caitlyn, you're a woman, right? A trans girl is a girl. She should have the same rights as cis girls. If you think a trans girl, what, you think a trans girl is too strong? I. <laughs> what about tall girls as opposed to short girls? What about uh, boys in high school who are teeny tiny and their teammates uh, have already hit puberty and are shaving? Why don't you just have co-ed sports divided by weight or height, I, you know? This is so dumb. They are legislating this without one single example of how this plays out. This is not worrying about girls sports. Uh, believe me, not. I think uh, there are better ways to worry about girls sports. This is not worrying about, this is not what that is. This is not worrying. This is not concern for girls sports. It's transphobia full stop. It's just such a bummer when a, you know, such a prominent trans woman is such a You know, it's like being Jewish right now and having the most recognizable Jewish names be Weinstein and Epstein. You know, it's like super not awesome, but. Super not awesome. Very eloquently put. So. Uh, yeah, that's all the conservatives that were celebrating. Sarah Silverman, she's on our side. She's, she's tired of the, the leftist extremism. Well, it, no, she thinks that, she thinks that women have penises. She thinks that men can have babies. Okay. That's as extreme a position as you can take. And it's as insane of a position as you can take. And she, that's what she believes or claims to anyway. So no, 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 that's not. Someone who, who holds that view cannot be on our side, at least on, a, on any side that I recognize. There's no like, well, yeah, she, she believes that and is advocating for a world where that is, um, where, you know, that, that operates according to that false reality. Uh, but, but, you know, she's, she can be an ally in other areas. No, she can't. And by the way, and you hear this all the time from the left, um, on the trans sports issue where they say, you, there's no examples. This isn't happening anywhere. You're like, give me one example. Okay, I could give you dozens of examples. It is happening. We could start in Connecticut where biological males with, with, with uh, track times that would not have qualified them for even like the top 20 were crushing the female competition in, uh, in the, the state championships. That's one example. There are plenty of examples of this happening. Um, but with that said, I think I think Silverman is sort of right about two things. Um, the first thing that she's right about, what are the two things? Let me remember. Pulling a Rick Perry. Okay. The first thing that she's right about is that this is not just about girls' sports. She's right about that. And I, I think that's a reality that... that that's a truth that conservatives need to be honest about and need to embrace and need to be open about. You know, trying to stop biological males from getting on girls' sports teams. Why are we motivated to do that? Well, let me speak for myself anyway. I can, that's because all I can do. Why am I motivated to do that? Why do I want to prevent this? Is it simply because of my passion for girls' sports? Is my My ultimate... Worry is it that uh, we'll live in in a country where there are no girl sports? No, I want there to be girl sports, but is it the most important thing in the world to me? It's not. 
Am I up at night lying awake, tossing and turning, say, what about girls sports? It's an attack on girls sports. No. Um, I recognize that girls sports is but one battlefield in the overall war for reality. And it's an important battlefield because it's getting a lot of attention. And because of the precedent that would be set if we lost in this battlefield. So that's, I'm not worried about losing girls sports specifically. I'm worried about losing our grip as a culture on reality. And when you lose reality, girls sports is like the least of your problems. If we live in a country where, where, where we have abandoned reality itself and science and all that makes sense, uh, yeah, we won't have girl sports anymore. We also won't have like anything else. I fully admit that. So when someone like Sarah Silverman accuses us of um, being motivated by more than just a concern for girl sports, I say, absolutely, you are damn right. That's what all conservatives should be saying. But instead, most Republicans, if they dare even speak on this issue, they pretend that, that, no, this isn't about transgenderism at all. This is only about uh, protecting girl sports. We just care so much about girl sports. Oh, please. Be honest about what you're doing. I agree with Sarah Silverman on that. Be honest. It's not like we, we have some insidious, it's not like our real motivations are insidious. We're trying to protect reality. That's the point here. Kind of important. What is the other thing she's right about? She's also right that uh, Caitlyn Jenner's position is incoherent. She's 100% right. Because Caitlyn Jenner is saying, I'm a woman, and we're supposed to accept him as a woman. And yeah, if he's really a woman, then why shouldn't he be able to participate in female sports? And if a trans girl is really a girl, then why shouldn't they be able to participate in girl sports? Doesn't make any sense. See, the, the, the objection to trans, quote-unquote, trans girls participating in girl sports only makes sense if it's grounded in an acknowledgement that trans girls aren't really girls. Because if they are girls, then obviously they belong in girl sports. In fact, if they are girls and we are disqualifying them from girl sports, that is discrimination. That's like bigotry, Right? Our point is that they're not girls. I am not aware of any argument against allowing quote unquote trans girls in girl sports aside from the argument that they're not really girls. That's my whole argument. I have no other argument. It's a pretty simple argument. I think it's a good one. Why shouldn't they go in girl sports? Oh, well, because they're not girls. I understand that you've given them a label with the word girl in it, but they're not really girls though. They're not the same. There's a, a, an essential fundamental difference between them and the actual girls. That's the argument. That's the whole argument. So, if, But if we're accepting that trans girls are girls, then there's no argument. Your, your argument makes no sense. That's why you might think that Caitlyn Jenner is the perfect mouthpiece for this. Because, oh, look, a trans person's coming out against it. His position doesn't make sense. It's incoherent. Caitlyn Jenner, are we supposed to accept you as a woman or not? Are you telling us now you're not a woman? Because if you are saying you're a woman, then by, by that standard, yes, these trans people should be in girl sports. This is what happens on the right. And I don't accept Caitlyn Jenner as being on the right, by the way. But this is what happens on the right when we don't have the guts and the intelligence and the wherewithal to be honest about what we're doing and what our argument is and to make the fundamental argument rather than staying on the surface, trimming around the edges, you know, get down to the nitty gritty. This is what the argument is really about. What is the, what is the sports argument really about? It's about the question of whether or not those quote unquote trans girls are actually girls. Our position is no, they aren't. That's it. If you're too afraid to say that, then you're useless and you're worthless in this discussion. Please butt out. Because whatever argument you're making is pathetic and bad. If that's not your argument. 
All right. Um, let's move now to reading the YouTube comments. Arthur says, the worst part about that mask video is the guy who filmed it is the crybaby who actually thought it was a good idea to post it online. That should scare us more than the virus. Yeah, that's always, all of these, uh, many TikTok videos are like this and all these mask shaming videos uh, where the, the, the undisputed villain in the encounter is the one filming it and not just filming it. Like, it's not like they are live streaming it and uh, they, they, they lose their temper in the moment and it goes out on the internet for all time. No, they film it and then watch it back. Like they film their own emotional breakdown and they film themselves being a bully to someone. In this case, this man berating a pregnant woman and getting up in her face. He films it, watches it back and says, this is great stuff. Let me post it online for everyone to see. Um, Maximilian says, Matt, I think you need to pick another hideous shirt because everyone likes the polka dot shirt now. Well, that's, why would I pick another one? The plan is working. This is, you know what this is? This is indoctrination. You're all getting a lesson in indoctrination. This is how it works. In desensitization, conditioning, and indoctrination. And even uh, hypnotism. All of those all together. Uh, let's see. WM Music says, Matt, do you think rote obedience leads to true obedience or a desire to obey? Uh, there's caveats and qualifiers, but basically, yes, I think so. That's what we were, we were talking about a second ago. That, that's what we're seeing in our culture right now. Um, people f- at first being forced to obey mask mandates, shutdowns, and all of that. And now there are millions of people who actually have a desire to obey them. They don't want the rules to go away. So, yeah, absolutely. Orange Banana says, hey, Matt, sauna is pronounced sauna, S-O-W-N-A. What? Sauna? Sauna. I was just sitting over there in the sauna. That's not how it's pronounced. It's sauna. Sauna. A-U. Sauna. Like, I may not have graduated college or even gone to college, but I know it's not sauna. Can you imagine going to, I don't know, a, a, like a spa? Or, well, I can't imagine going to a spa in the first place. But if you do and you walk in, hey, uh, where's your sauna? Um, And finally, Jesus Freak says, I don't have anything important to say. I'm just commenting so Matt might read it. Well, there you go. And thank you for your service in feeding the algorithm. Uh, I do appreciate that. Well, if you own an Apple device, I've got some good news for you. All of the Daily Daily Wire's latest news commentary and analysis is now finally available on Apple News. We cover everything that you're not getting anywhere else. So if you want to make your news feed infinitely better, just head to Apple News on your device, search for the Daily Wire and hit the follow button. Also, as I'm sure you know, The Daily Wire has been, uh, of course, growing like crazy. We've got a lot of exciting things we, we've done over the last six months and we plan to do in the future. We want to make sure that we include you in our plans, which is why we've been telling you about these uh, surveys, which will help us develop, uh, you know, work with sponsors that, that, that are going to offer services and goods and services that, uh, that you especially need. So please go to dailywire.com Walsh and fill out my audience survey to tell us a little bit more about yourself and to make it a little bit of a sweeter deal, you'll get entered to win a $1,000 gift card, but you only get entered for once for each show's survey. So make sure to listen to Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Clavin, and find out how you can access their survey as well, and you can enter to win those gift cards uh, that way also. Again, my survey link is dailywire.com slash Walsh. We'd love to hear from you there, and now let's get to our daily cancellation. Now for our daily cancellation, we turn to the tragic story of one pop smoke. He was a rapper from Brooklyn who was shot and killed last year. Apparently, little was known about the murder until just the past few days when the media reported that Pop Smoke's killer was a 15-year-old kid who, along with a few friends, invaded his home at 4.30 in the morning to steal his jewelry. In the process of taking his jewelry, uh, they shot him in the chest and killed him. Allegedly, a 15-year-old admitted to the crime in jailhouse conversations that were recorded, unbeknownst to the 15-year-old, I think. Ultimately, the rapper died over a Rolex watch, which was all they made off with. They sold that for $2,000. So a man died for $2,000 split between four guys. Now, when news of the killer's identity broke over the weekend, there was a lot of reaction on social media from people lamenting and wondering how a 15-year-old kid could engage in this kind of senseless violence. Now, many rap fans and Pop Smoke fans simply couldn't believe that such a fate could befall Pop Smoke, that his life could be lost for such a frivolous reason. And indeed, it is very sad. But it may not be quite as 
surprising as they make it out to be. I confess that I was not familiar with Pop Smoke's work uh, while he was still living, but out of curiosity, I did look up some of his songs uh, after reading the latest news. And not surprisingly, Pop Smoke appears to be a rapper in the traditional variety with lyrics like this from his song Dior. He says, I'll make a movie like TNT, Glock 30 on me, ask who really want it. I bet I air it like BNB, nappy blue, wild into my section, and I keep that 38 for that weapon. Remember when I came home from corrections, all the bad is in my direction. And lyrics like this from the song, get it on me, or got it on me, sorry. This AR be my trophy, shoot first, shoot back, automatic when the woo clap. Then there's a poetry like this from Welcome to the Party. Gun on my hip, one in the head, ten in the clip, baby, baby, don't trip, just lower your tone because you could get hit. And finally, who could forget the song Gangsta, which uh, with a passage like this, 44 got a kickback, click, clack, get back, shots at your rib pack, or you're going to get chin checked, talking about they guns, but never shot. <laughs> Might as well put a cap on it all over with a chopstick, run up and I'm branding them, 38's on the block, won't hesitate. Okay. Plenty more where that came from, pretty standard stuff. Yet, we're never supposed to stop and wonder if this standard may be having perhaps some kind of effect on the world. Is it possible that when the music industry churns out thousands and thousands and thousands of songs every year, directly glorifying and encouraging street violence, that maybe it could, after a while, actually, actually succeed in helping to create the very behavior that it is so explicitly promoting? Now, I'm not suggesting that Pop Smoke's killer was directly influenced by Pop Smoke himself. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. All I'm saying is that, is that the rapper contributed to a culture that goes out of its way to romanticize exactly the sort of thing that Pop Smoke's killer's killer did to him. In other words, when someone in an industry that glorifies street violence dies by street violence, would it perhaps be time for a bit of reflection? Should we consider about, you know, should we wonder about all of these dots that line up so perfectly just begging to be connected? Now, I brought this up over the weekend, and as expected, most of the responses were rather negative. Uh, some were along the lines of this comment from a guy named Akbar Jenkins, who said, I hope Matt experiences street violence. Yes, if you're upset that I said rap encourages violence, the way to prove me wrong is to wish death on me. Good plan. And then um, many other comments were making points similar to the one that someone named Trevor makes here. He says, this is like saying the writers of the Saw franchise had it coming if some twisted fan decided to ensnare them in a real-life jigsaw trap. Now, you often hear these comparisons between violence and rap and violence and film, but there are two very significant differences. First of all, the movie Saw does not glorify or romanticize serial killers. You're not supposed to watch that movie and come away with a sympathetic view of the killer from Saul. You're not supposed to think that it looks kind of cool to trap people in a room and force them to amputate their own limbs in order to escape. Generally, anyone imitating the jigsaw killer from Saul would have done it on Halloween, and that's about it. With all that said, I do think that the violence in Saul was grotesque and gratuitous and desensitizing. Those were garbage movies with no artistic value whatsoever. But they very clearly were not trying to send the message of, hey kids, being a serial killer is fun. Second difference, Saw was obviously fiction. It was a story. It was a tale. Most horror movies are the same. You're not supposed to confuse it with real life, and most people don't. You go into the film fully understanding that you're entering into a fictional world where unreal things are happening. Now, let's compare all of that to rap music. The rap music like from guys like Pop Smoke. Does rap music glorify and romanticize violence? Does it try to make murder and drug dealing seem cool? Does it try to make these things seem appealing? Yes, no question. Kids don't go around dressing, speaking, and acting like the serial killers from horror films most of the time. Again, unless it's Halloween. But kids, especially kids in the city, do absolutely imitate rappers. Imitate them in every way from speech to style to yes, behavior. The music is designed to have this effect. Everybody involved in making the music knows that it's having this effect. There is no escaping that reality. They can't plead ignorance. They're sending a clear message that, especially if you're a boy growing up in an urban area, the way to prove that you're tough and cool is to deal drugs and murder people. There is no mistaking that message. It is very direct. Second, rap music does not present itself as fiction. 
Now, it might be true that some of these guys are lying about their criminal exploits, but they certainly don't try to make it seem like they're lying or telling fables. They, again, go out of their way to convince the listener that they really have done and continue to do all of the things they describe in their music. Oftentimes, they'll explicitly address and reject the claim that they're lying or pretending. Pop Smoke, in one of those songs I just read, makes it clear that some people talk about guns but never shoot anything, and he is not one of those people. He wants you to know that he really has killed people, and he's killed them for almost no reason. He says, uh, like, kill someone because he doesn't, he doesn't like their tone. And uh, that all of this makes him very cool, and in fact, way cooler than the average rapper in the game. That's the message he wants you to pick up. A gospel passage about living by the sword and dying by it comes to mind. So the fact is clear. These guys definitely encourage the chaos and brutality in our cities. They do it for profit. They do it because the human cost means nothing to them. And sometimes the monster they help to create turns around on them. Yeah, it's a sad way to die. You know, it's an even sadder way to live and make a living. It's all just very sad. And maybe one of these days, when everyone gets tired of being sad, we can acknowledge the reality that's staring us plainly in the face and have a serious conversation about what exactly we might do to change it. Until then, those unwilling to have this conversation and connect all these dots are, as you may have guessed by now, canceled. And um, Media Matters, have fun with that segment. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, the Biden economy misses wildly on job expectations while the White House pays people to stay home. Vaccination demand drops precipitously thanks to Joe Biden's messaging failures. And we examine the latest conflagration in the Middle East. The media, as always, are getting it wrong. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.